They'll buy the properties to Contagion and turn it into a Broadway show. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, You know, with Josh Gad as the Contagion. (laughs) Welcome back, dreamers, for another serving of the Dole Up and Dreams podcast. Today we take a deep dive into Disney's version of the story of King Arthur, The Sword in the Stone. The film is based on the first book in the Once and Future King series by T.H. White, also titled The Sword in the Stone. Disney acquired the rights just one year after its publication in 1939 due to its massive success. World War II loomed on the European front, and the U.S. and Disney's involvement in the war halted all film productions. When the company came back in the 1940s, it was announced that Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, and The Sword in the Stone were all actively being worked on. This vague status remained attached to the film all through the 1950s after Cinderella saw a 1950 release, followed by Alice in 1951. The 1960s saw Roy Disney push to end the feature animation division. Because of their large catalog, they could just continue to re-release their old films. This refers back to the original idea of the Disney Vault that we've talked about in other episodes. But Walt absolutely refused. And because of the construction of Walt Disney World, only one animated movie was released every four years during this time. So 1960 came, and it was announced again that Disney was moving forward with The Sword in the Stone and an adaption of Chanticleer based on the 1910 French play about a rooster that would later become Robin Hood. Apparently, Walt only greenlit further work on The Sword in the Stone because he saw the Broadway run of Camelot in 1960. Now, Ken Anderson, Milt Kale, Mark Davis, and Wolfgang Reitherman were all sent to work on Chanticleer, leaving only Bill Peet to work on Sword in the Stone. This movie would be unusual because it would only have one director and one writer, which to this day is incredibly uncommon on a Disney animated feature. Eventually, Walt rejected the pitch for Chanticleer to move forward, stating, you don't feel like you want to pick up a rooster and pet it. So Sword in the Stone was moved up and replaced Chanticleer as the next film to be released, and this caused a huge rift between Milk Kale and Pete. Bill, Pete, and Walt worked closely as Pete expanded and fleshed out the script after his first, more simplistic approach to the story. This movie would also mark the first Sherman Brothers score for an animated picture for Disney. Now this movie, because of its small team, had literally no conflict in production, which Floyd Norman later attested in an interview with Mouse Planet, let the film kind of be bland. The art of animation was continuing to evolve during this time, and the studio replaced their traditional technique called the cleanup method with the touch-up when creating Sword in the Stone. Now, cleanup was where assistant animators redrew scene drawings using other character references to make all the scenes look like they'd been done by the same artist. Now, touch-up was the assistant animators drawing directly on the original sketch. And this new technique apparently saved a lot of time. This would be the only 1960s feature from Disney to not get a sequel or spin-off, but it was reported in the winter of 2020 that it would be getting a live-action remake for Disney+. With a budget of about $3 million, it grossed $4.75 million in its initial release in 1963. It would be re-released in 1972 and 1983, with 1983 being its most profitable run. 
It was received to mixed reviews by critics, with Variety praising its animation but completely knocking the script, and the LA Times called it par for the course, just an average Disney animated film. Now, according to Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 68% critic rating with 28 reviews and a 73% audience rating with 194,102 reviews. But The Sword in the Stone lives on as a Disney classic with characters that can be seen on the animated series House of Mouse, as well as the Kingdom Hearts video game series from Disney and Square Enix. And Disney Parks featured Merlin and Arthur in the new parade that premiered in 2020 at the Disneyland Resort called Magic Happens. It's definitely worth checking out. And we'll be right back after this. Hey there, Screen Beans. Have you heard about Screen Snark? Rachel, this is an ad break. They aren't screen beans until they listen to the show. Fine. Potential screen beans. You like movies and TV shows, right? I mean, who doesn't? Screen Snark is a casual conversation about the movies and television shows that are shaping us as we live our everyday lives. That's right, Matt. We have a chat with at least one incredible guest every episode, hailing from all walks. We've interviewed chefs, writers, costumers, musicians, yoga teachers, comedians, burlesque dancers, folks in the film and TV industry, and more. We'd be delighted for you to join us every other Monday on the Certain POV Podcast Network. Or wherever you get your podcasts, fresh and tasty off the presses. What? But that's... No, that's not... Can I call them Screen Beans now? Fine. Screen Beans! So tune in and we'll see you at the movies or on a couch somewhere. Because you're a whole Screen Beans now. Just a quick word before I get into our interview. We recorded this just before Florida went under quarantine for COVID-19 in March. We here at Dole Whip and Dreams want to encourage everyone to stay safe and stay healthy. This means wearing a mask when you go out and only going out if you have to. And when you do, please wash your hands and regularly sanitize between washings. This thing isn't over yet, and just because your state has reopened doesn't mean we should reopen. We love you all, and we want everyone to stay healthy to hear everything we have coming for you in the next year. So now on with our interview. Welcome back, Dreamers. Today I have a sensational actor with me, uh, Greg Malios. Welcome. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm so excited we could be here, quarantined, Yay. doing a podcast. <laughs> uh, well, why don't you tell the folks at home a little bit about yourself and the role Disney's kind of played in your upbringing. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, as, as you said, I'm an actor. Uh, uh, we met because we're both uh, graduate students at the University of Florida. So I'm currently uh, getting my MFA there, um, a graduate assistant in the uh, theater department. And um, let's see, uh, the, 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 I mean, this kind of, I guess, leads into the movie a little bit. Like, the reason why I was so pumped to talk to you about this movie is because it really does mean a lot to me in terms of my childhood. Um, it was like always my favorite uh my favorite disney film my grandparents actually on my dad's side like they have this um we actually i think my parents might even still have it they had like the big library of the um plastic vhs's mm -hmm. the ones that kind of pop the clamshells i love yeah, the clamshells clam yeah 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 so like my grandfather 
had those. We had all the v they had all the VHSs of like Winnie the Pooh. I mean, they were the grandparents mm -hmm. where it was like you wanted to go there because you knew they were just going to sit you down in front of the TV yep. Yep. and like shovel sugar and like popcorn. And, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Just be like, oh yeah, no, this is what we're going to do to keep, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of where, uh, my love for this always came from. And, um, you know, I mean, just like the, the, the film itself, I mean, uh, just, I, I always kind of had this, uh, love for it that kind of led back to my grandfather in particularly mm -hmm. because, I mean, we can talk about sort of like, you know, themes of this movie, you know, it's, it's, it's about getting an education and that mm -hmm. was something that was always really big for him, you know, he never went to college and so there was always, I mean, and I always, you know, Wart was always kind of like my guy, mm -hmm. you know, because like when I was a little kid, like, you know, six, seven, eight years old, like I was like the scrawny small kid yeah. that kind of always had to, um, you know, deal with these um, more masculine presences in my life. And my grandfather was always the one guy who was always constantly sent, reminding me, like, it's about what you know, it's about your knowledge and all that kind of thing. It's about knowledge and all that stuff. And, and um, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's where I come from in terms of this movie. I, I love it. It's I love that's That's absolutely amazing. I love anyone that's got... And like um, an emotional connection to something in such a way because it really informs kind of like how they watch and why they watch. And so I love that. And it's it's kind of similar to like my why I have so much like Disney love is because of my dad and those things. Yeah. But yeah, thematically, this play or this this play, <laughs> this movie is so interesting because to me, it's a standout Disney film, mm. but it's one that I think a lot of people forget. And it's not like sure. in the forefront of the canon, yeah. which sucks because I love this movie a lot. Yeah. Um, it's got one of the best villains, even though she's in literally four and a half minutes of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, all these things. But yeah, like I was just rewatched, literally just finished the film. Um, and so I... Actually, I did too about an hour ago I, in preparation for this. This was actually, since you asked me to do this, it was like a week ago. So yeah, like, like a week ago. I've yeah. watched it twice since then. I, I love that. I did that and then I went through today and, and, and watched it again. And, you were so prepared. Oh, my, well, guests I, are, my guests are always so prepared. <laughs> I love that. Just because they're so passionate about, about them. And that's why I always I'm like, you know what? Let's do the movie you want to do. Sure. Which, because like, you literally looked at me at, at school like six months ago and were like, you want to do Sword and Stone? I'm your dude. <laughs> <laughs> and so I started with like, okay, who's bored and wants to book? And I was like, we're talking to Greg. Because <laughs> also I feel like we've done a lot of Disney Renaissance this season. So I also uh -huh. really wanted to bounce it with like, we've done Robin Hood and Peter Pan and the Aristocats. And so this one I think falls in there nicely as a movie that was like just before Walt Disney died. It okay. was just as the company was shifting, which I think you can hear in kind of the tonality of the film. Because sure. um, in a way, especially because like everybody thinks they know the story of King Arthur. They talk about sure. King Arthur um, uh, that, you know, and it's so when it's it's one of those things that I think the way this is presented it's in such an interesting way because it is the one of the like ultimate heroes journey movies. Yep. Um, and really because... <laughs> It's just about Arthur's journey with, with Merlin and that relationship and that friendship. And then it all kind of dissolves in the last 10 minutes and it's all great. Yeah. Um, which, which I had forgotten. I always forget about that he is a fish and then he's a squirrel and then he's a bird. And he's a bird. And those are like the three middle arcing sections of the movie. Yeah. Um, and that's actually where most of the like meatiest part of the storytelling is. Totally. Um, but I think starting like thematically, this movie is really important to me again because I always forget of the proponent 
component of education that this is. Yeah. And, and this was also, I mean, we're looking at it, it was 1963. Um, and so this idea of what was education in a post-war America and like what was expected, I think is really interesting. Cause I, I think when we look at things and when they came out, it's important to, uh, connect kind of some of those things. Uh-huh. And so that idea, you know, it's probably started production about 1960 and a lot of these things had been pre pre planned and then the war happened and then things got, you know, uh, postponed and things. And so I think it's one of those that like, it's, it's chocked full of all of those like lessons you really want kids to take away. Absolutely. Uh, going back to some, when did Walt Disney die? What year? See, sixty six. Sixty six. Okay, and this yeah. is sixty three. Three. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. It, it, absolutely, I agree. With, uh, yeah, absolutely. Everything you said. The, the the proponents of you know the whole like brain versus brawn is kind of the through line. I felt mm-hmm. like or the major through line of the film. And I, I mean, I definitely took to that just in terms of you know how Merlin asks. Arthur to deal with his problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the the sort of uh, role that I think masculinity plays in the film is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that uh, Merlin does have this kind of almost, um, I don't know, I, for me at least, like Merlin kind of has this almost like femininity to him. Yeah. He's, he's, he's got a lot of like classic in theater, what we would consider the classic foppish tendencies. Sure. And especially for a dude of this time, he is thin. He, he's old. He probably can't do a ton of hard work. Um, he has trouble he, lifting up a pail out of the yeah, well at the beginning. And, well, and like the whole idea for him is that the, the pursuit of knowledge and proper education mm-hmm. is the most important thing. And honestly, he's the kind of bookish guy that gets made fun of in the Bond films. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, he falls into that kind of like. Q quality that oh, like sure. yeah, um that like he's he you know he's the quizzical guy he's the 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 nerdy dude um which for years and like having Arthur Newt um be the kind of hero of this and we all know when you tell a story about young king arthur we know where it's going to have to end yeah. you you know what's going to happen at sure. the end um and so but i think filling in with merlin cuz we don't know a lot of the merlin story mm-hmm. even outside of the books i mean jk rowling has even put him in harry potter like it's a thing yeah. like merlin has existed through all of history that informs magic and i think what's also interesting about this merlin is that he is so referential of the time so like oh sure like Walt like Disney World had been open or I'm sorry Disneyland had been open less than ten years they were pumping full of like this was the world oh this was the um World's Fair that uh, it's a small world and oh. all like in Carousel of Progress and so like it's interesting because to me Merlin has a lot literally is Walt Disney on screen for me in a lot mm. of ways and so I think it's really interesting that he's constantly trying to teach. Arthur, all of these things. Yeah. But then ultimately isn't there when Arthur has to do what he has to do. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, I think Merlin is such an interesting character to unpack Mm -hmm. because while it's Arthur's movie, when we talk about like who has power in a scene, like Merlin constantly is rolling with like, he controls every scene. Archimedes is there as the classical Disney sidekick. And I forgot how much I love Archimedes. Well, and really Archimedes, I think sets in a way that like animal sidekick that we're going to see for the next 60 years. Mm. And he works so much in the Mm -hmm. same way. Like he is so similar to like Mushu. He's Mm -hmm. similar to, uh, you know, the, 
he's a growth out of the like mice of Cinderella into something bigger. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. sure setting sure. up these kind of Disney archetypes. And so I think a lot of this movie sets up a lot of what the company would then use for the next era of their, you know, the producing film after Walt has passed away. And so I think Arthur set or um Merlin sets up a really interesting way of how we write a character because we traditionally like a Prince Charming would have all of these wonderfully masculine traits, Mm -hmm. including being silent. Mm -hmm. Um, Because who doesn't love a hot man who's silent? I know (laughs) I do. Um, But like the idea that everything that's traditionally masculine is in the oppressors. Yes. um, Because like, even at the end of the day, like, they're not bad people, but no. they're just, like, shitty people. No, totally. I mean, uh, I was, you know, watching it this last time, noticing how much, like, Sir Ector is kind of just doing his best with what he's been given. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not he's not a, um, oh, a wicked stepmother. Yeah. Do you know no. what I mean? You yes. know, like, he's like, he's like, fine, you can teach the boy. He's very open to those mm-hmm. things. Well, but he... He does have those blocks. And, like, the castle is crumbling around them. They probably don't have a ton of money. The son's a dick. But, like, (laughs) he's, like, he's just so dumb. God bless him. (laughs) But, like, and what's so funny is they're animated in such a way that you know that you're still supposed to look at them as, like, the, oh, they're the oppressors because they're animated in that way. Yep. They they always will, like, elongate a face or a nose or make Mm -hmm. someone heavy or... Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they're not awful. And because then the real bad person quote unquote we get is Madame Mem mm-hmm. and she's so weird yeah. but I love her so much <laughs> and I will love like every couple of years there'll be like one fun merchandise item of her that shows up on property and I just go yes queen yeah <laughs> um, cause she's like She's like the the witch that wants to be Maleficent, but like she can't be because even her dragon looks a little bit like Elliot would look like in, in Pete's dragon. She like she turns into the pig woman. Like it's she, like she's just. But like you know, it's and we'll talk about her a little bit when we talk about what washes out well and what doesn't quite wash out in contemporary. But yeah, I think I keep rambling, but I think it's this thing that Merlin presents such an interesting main character that we haven't really seen in a Disney film. No, but then when we would get the live action movies of the seventies, you would get like, like Dean Jones wasn't the most like, masculine guy when he would lead like the Herbie movies or you know because even he would go on to play Bobby and company like the original Bobby and so like he's got those traits that like make Bobby Bobby but they're Mm. not traditionally masculine and so like also he's Merlin is very Don Knotts in a lot of ways and so a lot of these men that would go on to like lead the Disney films of the next 15 or 20 years Mm. you know he's so much like those guys and so much like Roy and Walt in a way that they weren't like your traditional men of the time, Mm. Um, which I think is really interesting, especially considering looking at the world that they were surrounded by at that point. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Well, one of the other things that I love about this movie is that it's one of the classic sort of like book open movies. And I'm not sure how, how much of a through line that is, but I remember watching this past time just being like, 
I love the book. The book is gorgeous. And the book is... Because there's something I love about a true medieval fairy tale. Yes. Where, so if anyone has gone to Walt Disney World and walked through the castle, Mm. there's an archway, and it is... Because it's Cinderella's castle, there are five um, mosaics that... um, set up a medieval-looking Cinderella story. So she's in a flowing white gown, and the princesses are in the pointy hats. <laughs> and all the, or the, not the princesses, the stepsisters and mm-hmm. things, and it looks medieval. Mm-hmm. And there's something for me that is so wonderful about just the look of what we assign as medieval or, like, what Ren Fairs go off of. And I think, for me, the book is so classic to that, but mm-hmm. also the idea that not every Disney movie that was a fairy tale has had them. Um, but it's such a key point with those gilded books, like that Sleeping Beauty, just gold gilded book. Yeah. So are I, so I, lovely. I was going to say the, the animation in the book mm-hmm. lends itself. I feel like more towards a Sleeping Beauty animation. Style. Yes. And then when we get to the actual film, it, it's everything's just a little bit curved. Yep. Everything's just a little bit more wavy. Yep. You know that that influence of the early '60s is definitely there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You can see a lot of of, of what would become like the mod movement, anything mm. that would become pop art. Yeah, it's a lot of the lines. Everything. There are very few straight lines, and even there's a lot of asymmetry and decay. Oh yeah. In so much of it, which I really like. And but this is a in color palette and kind of everything. This is such a distinctly '60s movie. Oh yeah. Um, that again is informed by the those other those other movies that came before it yeah and i think the movie sets up you know with that um with that very uh medieval animation at the beginning that more sleeping beauty animation you know when that story is being told Mm -hmm. it's you know you have the song playing and you have these images of masculine of these masculine men going to war Mm -hmm. and that is kind of offset by the men that you actually see Mm -hmm. that are slightly more bumbling. And I think in the same way, the first time you see the wolf, yeah, you know, this was a time when the strong preyed on the weak, Mm -hmm. and that first image of the wolf is this terrifying image with red eyes. But then the actual first time you see the wolf, he's so much more, he's so, he's not, he's not that. He's so much more uh, bumbling and... Also, you know, so I think setting up those, um, uh, what I think can, can be seen as, uh, uh, uh violent or oppressive images. And then mm-hmm. under the surface, it's like, ultimately they're not good things, but they're just trying to figure right. it out in one right. way or another. Right. Uh, well, and I think it's also that idea that like, we expect a King Arthur story to be so gilded and perfect mm-hmm. and beautiful because mm-hmm. we know the man he becomes quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, for better or for worse. Um, sure. but like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's that idea of like, we, you got to start somewhere to get somewhere. Absolutely. So yeah. And it's, it's, the, it's also that idea that the world's not in a great shape when when this is happening, and so mm-hmm. you know the movie's not you know the world of the movie is in a great shape, and this also kind of informed the world that would become like when they used it for Robin Hood a few years later. Oh sure, because that would come out in seventy, I believe. Seventy, um, I think seventy. Now I know. Uh, do they reuse any frames or any any shapes from this movie? Because I remember the only real share that I can ever remember. Is a is a sharing of it's it's, it's Snow White. 
Is it Snow the White? The Dance in Snow White. The Dance in Snow White? Yeah. And so, yeah, so... There's one from Robin Hood, Jungle Book to Robin Hood, I think? Yes. Oh, yeah, because the, the... Yeah, the blue. Yeah, the blue, yeah, 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 blue yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Yeah, because uh, Robin Hood is 73, Aristocats is 70. I should know. We just had episodes on them. Um, <laughs> yeah, Robin Hood were used a lot because they were not having a good time. They were not... Oh. Disney was not having a, a oh. go of it. And they also had a movie called Chanticleer that had panned, and so they had a lot of, like... Uh, like all of Cluck's stuff comes out of the nurse. Uh, all uh, our stuff comes out of Chanticleer, and that's where the uh, Udalali bard oh, comes sure, from. Sure. Um, yeah, and so it's it's this movie kind of set up that I think for me the images of what this the rest of the '60s would look like for Disney. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Because we wouldn't get another. We you know '55 was the last princess movie. We wouldn't mm-hmm. have another one until '89, and so the, uh-huh. they were going to a lot of live action. Animation was getting expensive. It was hard. The nine old men were dying, um, <laughs> uh, and so yeah. But this was the sh- so the funny thing about this is I don't consider this a musical. Neither do I. No, but it, ta- but, but sure, the Sherman Brothers did music for it. They're iconic. They're amazing. They've done everything. Yeah. for Disney. Um, but yeah, I just do not consider this a musical in like any way, shape, or form. No, I, I did find it interesting though that only the um, only the magical characters get songs, mm-hmm. um, which seems very right. Yeah. Also, it seems it, it seems appropriate in the world that we're being set in, mm-hmm. uh, where. You know, the, and it's also the music, they totally sphered, sphered away from doing anything that sounds like we think medieval music or Renaissance or yeah, medieval music oh, would have yeah. sounded like. It is so of the time, which oh, I yeah. almost appreciated because of this. Merlin is actually a man who's so out of time. Yes. Um, I, I wonder what they would have done with him if they decided that he doesn't have a vision of the past, present and future. Right. Um, but I do, I love, I love that they bring up whether, you know, whether the world is flat or not. And he's like, yeah, it is, you know, it's not, it's in, and Arthur's like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, I've been there. And I was like, we're still having this conversation. (laughs) Good Lord. We're still having this conversation. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. my question for you is like, you know, cause I, I, I didn't, watch any of the movies around this time Mm -hmm. Uh, but is would you consider this to be the first sort of before this did they did disney include a lot of sort of meta i mean that the last line of the movie is about he's like what is a motion picture Mm -hmm. he's like it's like television without the commercials like is that um it's it's not in any of the animation so like a lot of the animation um, that I found is very um, referential to the time or just not referential at all. Mm. Um, short of shitty racist archetypes. Um, but, but yeah, so it's this is one of the ones where I go, oh shit, they're really heavy handed on like, Merlin's just kind of lay out that he knows what's going to happen and like yeah. this is just a blip in a very long line in a very old life that he's going to have. Absolutely. Um, and so I don't think any of the other animated movies were quite this referential because, like, you've got the Aristocats, which is in 70. You've got uh, uh, the, like, Jungle Book is not referential at all, like, at all to... Um, yeah, I was trying to, to think of other ones that it could possibly be in. It's just not, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you said sort of like a blip in time, and mm-hmm. it is, 
I mean, did you, I mean, did they set this up? This feels like, for me, at yeah. least, you know, jumping to the end of the movie, it, it, it feels like a, it feels like it's setting up a sequel. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the last two minutes are him in the throne room, and the immediate, you know, emotional problem for the character is he feels like he's trapped, right? You know, he's running around the throne room, and people are trying to get in, and it's like, oh, we're already setting up that... Mm-hmm how he feels about the spotlight and things of that nature. And then and then Merlin comes in and it feels like the end of uh, Back to the Future. Yes. Like, like that, that, it feels very much of that sort of ilk where he's like, oh, I'm back, but there's this, but there's all this that we have to get done. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's one of those things where I go, of course they, you know, of course there was talk, but it wasn't again into like, the 90s that they talked about doing another one of these movies. So wow. I feel like they just got to the end of that and because, like, Disney hadn't done any sequels. Like, that's not a thing. Mm. I think they were even thinking about. I can't, you know, I can't say. Um, but, you know, it's uh, it's it's an interesting thought also because Mary Poppins would come out a year later. That was um, the next film. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there were several. Because um, you have, like, a couple you've got a couple of the quirky live action movies which was like um a tiger walks which is like a oh, uh, um it's like a suspense movie and then there's like the adventures of merlin jones which is like a quirky story and then you had the three lives of thomasina with Haley mills mm. oh not Haley mills i'm sorry it's not Haley mills um but it's about a cat and then uh moon spinners and then mary poppins mm. um I'm totally cheating. I have an IMDb up, kid. That's how this works. Um, yeah, this was when Disney was pumping out the live-action movies. But yeah, if you're looking... Like, Mary Poppins was the next movie that had any sort of animation in it. Mm. And then... I think... The next animated film is The Jungle Book in 67. Oh, wow. So it was four years. But oh. it was also because it took a shit ton of time to put out an animated movie at this point. Mm. Um, and they were also pulling back their animated, um, they're pulling back their animated spectrum of, of things at that point. Do, do you know, I mean, the other thing is I mm. specifically did not look up anything about like whether or not this was like a successful movie at the time, just because mm. I almost would like break my heart to be like, no, people did not dig it. Like, <laughs> um, it's on par for the time they spent three million to make it, and it made twenty two and a half oh, million. So um, really good. Uh, so yeah, it's not it's not bad. Um, Mary Poppins would make them a shit ton of money. Um, um, uh, and you know, so but it's one of those things um, that you know it's that was probably very normal. It wasn't. I didn't see that it was marketed heavily. Mm. Um, so that could have had a lot with it as well. Plus people um, saw movies in a different way then. Um, that's not helpful. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, we're looking up right now what the relative money is and it didn't tell us. So, it didn't um, tell us anything. But, so a lot, like so quite a bit. It made, like it quite did, a bit of money. Especially knowing money. this is back when a movie was like, 25 cents, 50 cents to see. Oh, so yeah. that's quite a bit of money. Also, because this is back when they were, um, they talk about making money in the idea of theater rentals. 
Um, mm. So you you rented the film for a specific amount of time, and that's uh, where the money came from. And so it's not about like gross ticket sales like it is today. Um, because the movie theaters don't make that much money to rent things out. Um, or to, they don't make that much money from the actual movie tickets. Um, so, but yeah, so it's, this is, it's such an interesting movie to look at also because like I, as I was watching it today, I go, wow, they spend so much of the time learning like the things that Merlin wants to teach. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wart. And it's like this idea of he, like he's, he is, feels some sort of way about squirrels. Mm-hmm. Um, and feel some, and you know, it makes sense that he would then want to be a, you know, a bird and a fish. Cause they're mm-hmm. two things that humans can't do, but he's like intrinsically in danger every time. Yeah. Cause Merlin really kind of is in his own world and forgets that he, until we meet Mim, which I think is why it's important that we meet Madame Mim is that Merlin can always get himself out of a situation because he's always the strongest one in the situation. And then when we get with Mim mm-hmm. and he could lose Arthur to her, right. um, because this idea of the black magic, the dark magic, mm. it pull, can pull him more cause it seems more fun. Yeah. It's, it's less academic. Yep. Um, but it's it, even, it's even sort of like that more academic he, he still comes up with what I would consider to be an academic oh, yeah. solution oh, to yeah. that problem as well. Oh, yeah. You know, because you're right. I mean, it goes through, you have these three different instances where nature is sort of being, uh, is, is sort of the, the prime conflict, right? Is some sort of, you know, uh, when he is uh, a fish, it's the barracuda, mm-hmm. which is terrifying. Terrifying. Right? So scary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then when he's the squirrel, we see the return of the wolf. And that has to do with nature as well. And even the uh, the uh, romantic entanglements that happen in that scene are 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 uh, cho- initially chalked up to nature, but then we have Merlin come around at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well is, yeah. I'm going to jump back yeah. to the squirrel sure. ladies sure. in a bit because yeah. um, we we got to talk about that. Okay, just a little okay. bit. It's, okay, it's, okay, sure, sure. Yeah, sure. we got to talk about that. Yeah, and it's this thing of where how like he's somehow still able to control and like teach about nature, but like mm-hmm. nature. He's still able to get himself out of it, where when you've got someone who is then thinking on their feet the same way he is. Mm -hmm. And, of course, when she's like, nothing unnatural, and you're like, oh, okay, and then dragon, um, Uh because, of course. Mm -hmm. But you're also like, well, technically, it is medieval times. There were dragons, right? Dragons and unicorns. So we're told there are wizards. (laughs) Unicorns are in every manuscript and they're assholes. (laughs) Unicorns are assholes. If you all do not believe, just go look up the history of unicorns. They will kill you. Don't get close to them. (laughs) They're (laughs) sorry. I was about to make the worst joke. Um, They're like gay men. Just stay away. I'm I'm joking as a queer person, you know, but you know, we got to make those jokes because we're in a quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) How so, have you been doing, by the way? Are you, do, are you ooh, okay? Ooh, yeah, I'm. I, you know what? I'm one of those. Everybody thinks I'm an introvert or an extrovert because I'm a lot. And, but I'm about as extrovert as an introvert can be. Sure. So I'm really content, like living in a bubble and doing my things and like hanging out with my baby Yoda over there and like just all you know. Oh, there he is. There he is, <laughs> watching from afar, asking for the chicken nuggies. Um, where did you all get that chicken nuggies bullshit? I don't get it. I don't like it. There aren't chicken nuggies in Star Wars. 
But if you ask Disney, there is fried chicken you can get. It. <laughs> you can get it. You can get it at Galaxy's Edge. It's quite good. Um, you know, we're holding up. Um, I'm I'm glad I've got Disney Plus. Honestly, yes. it's been really nice. Um, yeah. I was glad that I'm I'm trying to schedule with everybody like before I leave. Oh sure, grad sure. school and things, just so I can hang out with everybody. But like, yeah, it's um. It's interesting, you know, it's, it is, uh, you know, everyone out there, this might be out while we're still in quarantine or this will be after. So it'll be interesting to, yeah. it'll be interesting to listen to this, but it's, it's still one of those things that it is, oh, it's, it's strange, but I'm glad some people are taking this seriously. I wish more people would take it a little more seriously. Absolutely. Um, I don't agree with the panic. It's weird because we're in a place for the first time that all Disney properties are closed. So while we're able to enjoy like Disney movies, Literally, since 1955, there's always been some Disney open somewhere on the world. And literally, because we have five parks in five countries that, like, are not open. Not open, yeah. For good reason, but, yep. like, are not open. And, it, you know, it's it's all very surreal. And, like, dealing with, like, gigs being canceled yeah. and, and people are trying to plan months out. I mean, Broadway is canceled. Yeah. Which, like, so, you know, it's it, the tours, out, like, l- the world is shut down, and I don't know. That's why it's, it's good to have a distraction right now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was, you know, when you, I remember, I think I was, like, running a little late today. You were like, oh, we can, you know, we can do it another day if you're, if you're running a little late. And I was like, absolutely not. I have my apartment in three days. Yeah. I need to talk oh, to yeah. someone about yeah, something. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it's weird because now, like, it, we're interacting with each other and our faculty on Digitally, Digitally, but then we're also like interacting with our students digitally, um, which is, you know, so weird trying to, you know, teach what we teach, which are not particularly, you know, they're not, I I can't send you home with a psychology reading. I'm sure I could for design. We can talk about the psychology of design, but like at the end of the day, you still need to design something. Yeah. You still need to be able to do. It's it's not uh, just, I mean, you know, we only study theory. Yeah. A fourth of the time. Exactly. Because it's theory that we have to put in practice. Absolutely. So, you know, it's it's so interesting. And there are, like, people, like, I've got stuff for sale on our local marketplace that are like, yeah, can I come by? And I was like, sure. <laughs> I guess. I guess. I, I want the money, but, like, okay. uh, Let me know when you're here. I'll put it on the, okay. on the stoop. <laughs> yeah. I'll throw the mattress out the front door. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, it's wild also just to see how people kind of handle this kind of thing. I think so. I think it says a lot about. Yes, it does. Yep. Yes, it does. Uh, <clears throat> you know, it's 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 wild. I feel like this is something that maybe in like, uh, you know, it's seventy five years. There's going to be a movie about it or something. I don't know. There'll oh, be a musical sure. about it. Maybe oh, sure. maybe when Disney's running the world because it's they'll it's buy the coming. properties to Contagion and turn it into a Broadway show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, with Josh Gad as the Contagion. <laughs> Which, depending on how you feel about Olaf and Josh Gad and his LeFou, l- l- uh, will just be, Hi, I'm the Contagion. <laughs> I have a heart, too. And, you know, you're going to go, Oh, wow, what if diseases had feelings? <laughs> D- Pixar, please, no. Just no. Um, you know, because what are his memories? So we learned that. So, like, fuck, I don't know. It's, it's such a weird fucking surreal time because like everything's going on and that's it's so interesting to like still create something like this because literally everyone's gonna be able to listen to it in a couple weeks and you'll be able to listen to it in two years and go oh yeah that was weird but it'll be so contextually strange for anybody that's actually lived through this do you think it'll get a name like 
the Great Quarantine. I, that would be fun. That, <laughs> that would be. I don't know. We'll we'll see. Because it's kind of. I'm sure we know how they put out a new history textbook every year to get those new coins from from college <laughs> students. Um, you know, I'm looking at you, professors who edit books and make your fa- make your students buy the newest edition, even though nothing's new. The commas are in different places, Matthew. Ugh, I mean, I say that, but like we're using a directing book that has Starlight Express photos in it, so like can't always uh, say, you know. Okay. Theater, it, theater text. I feel like sure, sure. I feel like theater text is they're like nothing after and Bogart, <laughs> nothing. A new Michael Chekhov book came out. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Every time they update the design books, everyone's like, "Why?" And I go, "Cause the last musical referenced in it is 1996." <laughs> We kind of changed what we do since then. I can't remember uh, what class it was. I, I, I really can't, but somebody was referencing a textbook they had, and it had the advice that at, so, at some point, they were referencing stage combat, and it was like, and sometimes you just got to slap the actor. <gasps> oh, it's our directing book. It's, it's directing the directing day. book. <laughs> yeah, according to our directing book, which I actually do kind of recommend for any young directors out there. It's a pretty good textbook. Um, but uh, oh, it's on my bed. What is it called? Fundam- Fundamentals of Directing. It's a light blue book. Um, yeah, and they were like, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes your actor just needs a good smack on the face. Sometimes you just got to smack them in the scene. It's what the scene calls for. And you're like, what the fuck? Really? I mean, I've wanted to punch people I've worked on productions uh, with, but it's so, you know, it's so, it's so weird. Why didn't you see this coming, Merlin? Huh? <laughs> Where the fuck was this? You're talking about a locomotive and television, but where is the contagion, Merlin? Where is it? Yeah, he wasn't able to tell us this was coming, that's for sure. Yeah, I couldn't, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's so Weird, but I'm glad we're here doing I'm this. I'm glad we're here doing this too. Yeah, thanks I for just, having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Oh, thanks for being here. Uh, but you know what? I think it's. Uh, oh, you've definitely got something to say. What do you got? Oh, to no, say? no, no. Oh, no, 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 I was going to say so, like, we're talking about, like, the time and how it's different times and we're all different times. And so I had never. I was, like, going in this. I was like, yeah, there's, like, I don't remember anything, like, questionable or cringy or, like, Problematic, I about think, this, is the word about, about this movie. Yeah, uh, the, the the only thing I can think of is that the only female representation is the squirrel who presents. Uh, while a genuine love, I think, can come off kind of as needy, love struck, yeah, love struck, and then you have Mad Madam Mim. And then the only other female character... Is that one woman that just comes shrieking out of the castle? Out of the castle. Just, I was like, we never see her again. I don't know what she does. The, the woman who works in the kitchen. The woman that works, yeah. Yep, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, you know, and she's a large woman. Yes. Um, not particularly beautiful. Mm-hmm. But I love that they even... Well, and then you have the other female squirrel who is large That's and not... Right. quite Who is large That's and slightly right. masculine looking with yes, a gap yes, in yes. her tooth. Yep. Who's like pawing all over Merlin. And he's like... <laughs> Well, it's been a couple hundred years. Let's see. Give it a go. How is it for the squirrels? I'm so sorry if any of you have your kids out there. Uh, why, why are your kids listening to this podcast? Um, they really like Sword the Stone. Um, 
It's oh god, oh. I just you know uh, oh my god. So it's uh, yeah, but yeah. So that's the one thing for me. I think it's that one. They also animate her so lovely. She's so soft. She's a soft oh. lady. She's a soft lady squirrel. Yes, she's a soft. She she's a soft Ophelia squirrel. I I, would I feel not... like she went and threw herself in a river covered in flowers after this and killed herself. Oh, okay, so can we talk about that last shot of her? Yeah, I mean, so it's you know. God, what, what's the, it's, a, it's the line uh, that Merlin says, um, uh, oh, uh, you know, lad, this love business is a powerful thing. Uh-huh. It says greater than gravity. Well, yes, boy. In its way, I'd, I'd say, yes, it is. It's the greatest force on earth. And then it cuts to her on top of this branch that, that there are no leaves on. It's a yep. dead branch. Yep. And then it just fades to black. Yep. It's... I, I I can remember as a kid, like, feeling for mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. so hard. And it was interesting, you know, I was talking to um, our, our good friend, uh, the actress uh, Zoe Wilde, about this. <gasps> Zoe, and friend of the pod, she'll be on soon, I'm sure, but we stand Zoe Wilde. Yes, God. yes, yes. Oh. Um, I remember talking to her about this, and her big takeaway from it, which I had never even thought about, was... Yeah, sometimes people just don't love you back. Oh, that's I was like, whoa. I love that. But it's so true. Yeah. Especially because, like, they could have easily turned this into, like, Merlin could have turned her into a girl. Like, that's that's the alternative. And, like, as far as they handled women at this point in film, like, it's probably better that there are not more women in this film because it would have been worse. Sure. Um, sure, sure, Because they're either sassy and ugly fat girls, but, God, what a personality. Am I right? (laughs) Face for radio, but a heart for the... uh, But a heart for the burlesque novels. I don't know. Oh, jeez. I'm so sorry, you all. Um, Or they're just soft and beautiful. But God, are they stupid? Um, or they turn into dragons. Or they turn into dragons because they're just a wizened old queer woman. Um, um, uh, yeah, it's so. It's just. It's a problem. Um, and I think we. I'm not gonna. Ch- it's a chalking it up to the time, but it doesn't mean it was correct for the time. We keep talking about that. Sure. It's the thing I always have a hard time when I go back and watch Mad Men, as brilliant as that show is. Yeah, it's one of those where you're just like, you know, I can't. Oh man, I do, you know if you live during this time, it's that's why I think a lot of the older people are having a lot of issues with how we are talking about things now. It's like it was just. It sucked, but it was just how life was. Yeah. And so it affected everything. And so, you know, I, now I feel like there would be a female friend who would be sassy and, mm-hmm. and cantankerous with him the whole time. And then he would eventually fall in love with her at the end of the film. Oh, sure. You're talking um, about Arthur. Arthur, yes. yes. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, they would, you know, and if this was done now, Merlin would be much gayer. I think he oh, would, he would definitely be coded very well, queer. I kind of have this like weird I pitch idea for like um like an ABC family like mm-hmm. teen drama mm-hmm. that takes place in medieval times that begins at the end of this film. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I mean I could see it sort of lining up in 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 that way for sure. Well, I do believe this has been greenlit for a live action. Really? But we've had so many King Arthur movies that are bad that yeah. like you know, I it, yeah, it's oh, a live action version of this film. Or Sword in the just... Stone about of Sword in the Stone. Well, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, wow. 
Yeah, and uh, and of course I go. I don't want anyone but Ian McKellen to play Merlin. Of course not. We maybe Patrick Stewart. Maybe Patrick. Maybe Stewart. Patrick. Maybe but Patrick. It's got to be it's Ian. Gotta be Ian. Right? If there's an old, if there's an old wizard that's not in Harry Potter, it's got to be Ian McKellen. Yeah. Um, also, just because he brings that delightful Oscar Wilde foppishness to everything he does, oh, wow. even Magneto, which who is dangerous, but there was yep. just that kindness to his eye and I yeah. Ian McKellen does that beautifully um, but you know it's who uh, this then brings up my idea of like oh I was actually thinking about this oh yeah yeah so then uh, I mean just to do another uh, uh, what if casting I'm watching this I'm going oh it's Mad Mad Minimus and Dowd it's oh, and Dowd yes and Dowd yeah. <laughs> and Dowd and Dowd that's and Dowd either that or Carol Burnett one oh, of the sure. two uh, yeah. one, one of the two but yeah. and Dowd oh and Dowd is so mm. good um, and then I was like, this thing's just going to put Tom Holland in it. Uh, yep, there are no other like nope, scrawny, nope. but he's mm-hmm. secretly really ripped. Cause then there would be a film where like the shirt would fall off and, and you'd be like, Oh, of course well, the wart is completely ripped. Well, there's also Shalomay as well. <laughs> no, he's got it. Or the, we just saw the King though. I don't know. We, if we did just see the, we King. Just see the King. Oh, okay. And for everyone out there, I love Timmy Chalamet. He yeah. is, he's a really actually exemplary actor. Oh, so just wonderful. like, you know, I will always call back to the last five minutes of call me by your name. When we just watch him cry mm-hmm. and it's beautiful. Um, and I heard little women was lovely. A little woman was, he was one. Yeah. Absolutely. He's, he's so good. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's one of those things that like, it's, Hmm. You know, I, I don't think we need it. This is one yeah. that I go, no. give me an Atlantis. I don't need a sword in the stone. Sure. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, also, it's like, how are you going to do? What, what's the animation part of it? Yeah. I mean, Archimedes, the animation of Archimedes is ha- how his character moves yeah. physically in that world is half of the comedy. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting that they let him literally... He's the one that actually apprentices Arthur through the end of his quest. Yeah. Like, he's the one that finishes it, even though he's like, don't pull it out of the stone. Don't do it. Yeah. You did it. Um, and we, we see the sword in the first five minutes mm-hmm. and the last the five last, minutes. The last, last ten, ten, ten yeah. minutes. Yeah, so the title of the film is kind of bookends this whole middle part that doesn't really have anything to do with it. Right, I think it's hard when we're talking about something that is literally this classic of literature that, like, the tale of King Arthur is history in many ways for a lot of places, even though it's fabricated. You know, just women putting stones and swords and stones and lakes and Mm -hmm. what have you. It was a wild time. (laughs) It's a wild time. Um, You know, it's 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 so it's another one that like any other story, if it tried to follow this format, would not. I don't think I'd enjoy it. I don't think it'd be successful. I don't know how it works. I was trying to break it down into a three act structure. You can't. Because there's actually. The up until he, you know, up until Merlin comes to the castle, right. and then really each each of his goes into an animal form is an act, and then you literally have when Merlin leaves through the end, which is it's it and is it's, and it's broken up by these little scenes of yes. magic cleaning the kitchen. Yes, <laughs> and it's 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 one of those. This is almost in a Shakespearean fire or like a okay. a a. Not Shakespearean, because well, I mean maybe Shakespearean, but like because we know his name, but there were lots of other playwrights of that time, and even like in that medieval structure of being a five act structure mm-hmm. in many ways, and that idea of things having to happen in a day, 
it almost feels like they split this up for television if it had to be split up for television. Oh, yeah. Um, because this was also in that time where you could do fade outs. You could do a blackout between scenes. Sure. And it's like, because there's like the quirky ending quote or the thing that happens and then we open to something else quirky happening. Right. Um, and it's it's so strange, though. It is common for Disney film of the time. Um, the, that sort of, because um, I mean, going back to that scroll moment, you know, we yeah. fade out on her and the and then we fade in on this kind of like the, and we go back to that kind of jazzy, the jazzy yeah. feel music and she's screaming and running out of the kitchen and be like, there's black magic on the kitchen. And, and so it's just like, it picks you down right back from up. that. Yeah. Because that's a hard moment. Tough. Um, tough. Especially because it's a very, uh, it's a very like, you got to explain that to your kids moment. Yeah. Um, Because this is also when they were still making movies, assuming they were for kids, but like the knowing the parents had to sit through them, but they weren't actually putting stuff in for the parents. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it wouldn't be until the 70s where they go, you know what? We need the youths, not the old youth, not the young youths, the old youths. (laughs) Um, Let's make a horror film. Let's do science fiction. Oh, God. (laughs) And then we got the black hole. Um, Ah, um, <laughs> well, because the next time we see something literally set in this era was Black Cauldron, which oh sure epically failed. Oh sure, um, and that because every time I went, when does the blonde girl show up? And I go, oh shit, that's in Black Cauldron. Mm-hmm. I forget that there's literally not an, again another female character that is not. Like, cause that would be, that'd be the thing for me. If you're taking this script and trying to make it again, you can't. There are things that like, oh, yeah. you need to like move out. Also, I don't think we could do all three of the animal acts because this movie is actually kind of long for an animated movie. Seven, 79 minutes? Yeah, yeah, a little. Yeah, it's, yeah, just over. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so, I mean, most, you know, there are a lot of them that are. Um, yeah, 79 minutes. Yeah, because you've got like Great Mouse Detective, which is 77. But I find myself at some points, this feels long mm-hmm. in some ways. And I'm not sure if there's a way to truncate the story, but still get it in. Um, but, you know, we want the quirky kids love animals. Like we love talking animals. That's a Disney staple. Um, well, and also I feel like the it might feel long to me when I, on my most recent rewatch, I didn't realize that the tournament and the finding of the sword is in the final quick. moments. It's quick. quick. And you, you know, you think, at least in my head, I remember the tournament maybe being this climactic point of the movie. It's not. It's, no. it's the battle between Merlin mm-hmm. and Mim. And then after that, everything from the... Because Merlin's on, like, peace, deuces. Yeah. And yeah, and then it's it's the, it's those moments of Archimedes and Arthur going to London with, with the family and... Yeah, and I looked at the... I was like, oh, God, Greg's going to be here soon. I was like, how much longer is this movie? And then I went, oh God, there's 12 and a half minutes of this movie left. Yeah. And that's the thing for me where I go, wow, but it's this story because it has to be the pulling out of the stone that is the payoff. Yeah. And we're not actually coming to this movie to see Arthur become king. We're seeing all those moments of him going where we go, I think he'll be okay. Yeah. I think... Because we know the story that will become because the King Arthur story eventually goes into... The Richard the Lionhearted, which then goes into where we get with Robin Hood. Yep. Yes. Um, where did I have that backwards? No, I think Arthur. Yeah. I think Arthur's like way before. Way, 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 way before. Yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, but the you're right. I mean, and he's being taught these things that it's like, oh, he'll you know, 
as they're leaving the woods, he's like, what did you learn? It's like, that knowledge and wisdom are the true power. And it's like, yeah. okay, great. Now we've set up like who this guy's right. going to be when he's and, older. And it's honestly obvious that they were still trying to do this thing where we're educating kids and we're, mm-hmm. we're putting the, the good qualities of what makes a good American, you know, what makes a good, a good person mm-hmm. out there. And we want people to be educated in these things, which, you know, was difficult at the time, but also knowing they were making movies for a mostly white audiences um, mm-hmm. is, you know, mm-hmm. it's... It's it's the thing where if you were, you know, it's, it's 1960 when they're making this, we're still in the middle of the civil rights movement. Yeah. So, you know, having kids of color come to see this movie and, mm-hmm. and when the country is telling them they should be educated in a different way and things, you know, it's one of right. those things where we now have this perspective. But of course, and this was also something where... People could go to, they could have had three gin martinis before they go see this movie with their kids. Their oh, kids yeah. are fine to just watch through it. Uh-huh. And because that is the time. But oh, I yeah. think looking back now, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with this story. We yeah. still, I mean, well, the, we had the TV show Merlin. Like we, we you know, yep. we, um, you know, we focus on, you know, Merlin is going to always be there. Much like Nicholas Flamel will always be referenced yep. throughout. It's He is this magical constant. Um Kind of idea because also one of the first, you know, he's one of the first, if not maybe the first, um, very popular like wizards in literature. Oh yeah, that kind I of mean, carries through because this is this is the T. H. White book. Mm-hmm. But then you know the the uh, King Arthur and his court is is mm-hmm. a whole different thing. Oh yeah, and so I've I've always been curious as to where this story lines up, this in the mythology, if it's considered like. If this novel is considered mm-hmm. like Arthur Cannon, right? Because I, I'm not sure if it's a young adult novel. I, I've never read the book myself, um, but uh, but it's something that's always interested me. Yep. Uh, well, let's let's look that up right now. Um, the Once and Future King. Um, oh, and this was published not that long before. The second book. The second book. Yes. Okay. Oh, so thirty-eight to forty, and then fifty-eight. Um, yeah, I don't know if this is considered Arthur canon, really, but mm. what they could have set it up to do is say, hey, we've got, we've got four books. Let's tell them. Let's tell and them. And then maybe it didn't do great and they just did not, uh... Oh, so possibly what we're looking yeah. at is a... Scrapped. Yeah, scrapped. And then with this live action. Yeah. How many books do we have? Right. We can break those books up into how many movies? Yeah. And so so for our uh, listeners at home, this is before I've done my, my pre-show. You all know the pre-show. And so, um, uh, yeah, so we're maybe I'll find out when we do our research. That'll yeah, be great. Yeah, yeah. So, well, you know, well. this will be a little. You all will have already heard. It's a little bit of a spoiler because you, <laughs> you guys will have already listened to the pre-show. Um, yeah, it's just so, it's so, I mean, interesting because we'll always have... We'll always have a Robin Hood story. We'll always have a King Arthur story. And so, but I do think it's interesting that they're like looking to push this out for Disney plus not for mass release. That actually makes sense to me. And because more people will see it, more people will see it. And again, if we are correct, if we're looking at a world, if we're mm-hmm. looking at a world, I mean, you say the words, you know, world building and it's mm-hmm. just like, I'm sure they see like dollar signs mm-hmm. and the whole midi, you know, people mm-hmm. are hankering for some new medieval. Everyone content. loves a Ren fair. Everyone loves <laughs> Everyone loves a fucking Ren Faire with your stupid steampunk accessories. And your turkey legs. Your turkey legs and, and your refrozen and fucking pirates. Driven to uh, okay, I and not kidding. Mm-hmm. I worked at a Ren Faire. I love Ren Faires. Oh, All the of best. you out there. Truly. They're they're super Truly. good. But you know, not exactly historically accurate. 
Uh, but, <laughs> but Craig, I love that you came with so many notes. What are some more of your uh, thoughts? Well, just how I mean, here. I mean, I just got a bunch. Like, there's a bunch of different stuff down here. Like, I guess you know, um, we could talk about Serector's sort of fear of yeah. knowledge yeah. as you know, black magic, like. You know, when Kay starts to kind of get in on Merlin, he's like, stop, stop, stop. You know, he could do anything to us. And 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 then that's when you have the two, I think, the two moments that I know resonated with me when I was a kid emotionally was when he's, when it's both, the, it's the times that Arthur is forced to, you know, cry in front mm-hmm. of his male mentors, mm-hmm. right? The first time in front of Sir Ector, mm-hmm. when Sir Ector's like, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's evil. He'll turn us into a frog, whatever he says. Mm-hmm. And Arthur's, you know, sobbing. And he just says, like, just because you don't understand just doesn't mean he's a bad person. Mm-hmm. And I remember that, like, hit me, like, so hard. Right, because then you have also this young kid, this young male kid, like, mm-hmm. crying in front of these two very masculine guys. Exactly. And then when he finally gets what he wants in terms of being the squire, the second time is when he goes to Merlin and he says, I'm, I'm going to be a squire. This is what I wanted. And Merlin's like, I hope you're happy, like, and all this. And then we have his second breakdown, mm-hmm. which is in front of his other uh, male role mm-hmm. model, you know? And so setting up Arthur as this sensitive kid Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't, it, it, as, as far as I know, I mean, you might know, you probably know more than I do about, about how these sort of princely characters are portrayed up to this point mm-hmm. in Disney. Seeing the, seeing this, you know, they call him scrawny, mm-hmm. um, you know, small kid, like, get emotional in front of these male figures, yeah. I think is really it's, interesting. It's really not something we'd seen. And it's interesting that we talk about this idea of like magic being around. Yeah. Because um, this is just post-McCarthyism. This is just post-Red Scare. Like this is pre-Cold War, but like these are things that, that idea of the other is so, and this would have been like a very Catholic-driven society. Oh, sure. So like this idea, you know, it's also, there's so much of like, oh, don't mess with him because we don't know what he could do. You know, that's, again, it's a very product of the time moment. Oh, yeah. But something I love with Sir Ector is that moment of, that shows that he's not a bad dude Mm -hmm. was when Arthur, everybody's like, hail King Arthur. And he's the first one to drop to his knee. Yeah. And then his son's like, fuck you. And he's like, bow to your King. Bow to your King. And you know, it's not a, the stepmother coming to grovel. It's that he's like, oh shit, this is a thing. Like this is the important thing. Um, and while he didn't want Arthur to try to pull it out of the stone, um, I love all those off-screen voices so they didn't have to animate crowd scenes. Because yeah, yeah, there yeah. are like no animated crowd scenes. That's also the thing is you can tell that they were like maybe doing this on a little bit of a budget because like there are no superfluous characters at all. Well, no, this. not at all. I mean, and the only superfluous, and there's not a single superfluous female character either. No. They're all just these men who are like, you pull the sword out of the stone and then you have like, you know, this and that. Oh my gosh, what is the one character? Pink, Pinkerington? What is the name of that guy? He comes The skinny to the, guy? That's, yeah. He's like, Lord, you must know! Yeah, he's like, he's like I've come with news from yeah. London. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He makes the joke about how the London Times won't be out for another so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great, it's great, it's great. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, the thing is, I think... They made this because the movie has to be self-aware in so many ways. And oh, yeah. so being able to put in signs of the time was important for being self-aware because then it also meant people could go, ha, 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 clever. Well, <laughs> it makes me wonder whether or not 
the the novel is at all self referential Yeah, that it being would be, a more not modern yeah, novel. Yeah, that would be really interesting. I might have and to. And whether uh, or not that sort of meta nature would find itself into a live action show. Yeah. I, it'd be weird now because of how much we know. Oh, yeah. It'd be, I don't know if it would almost ruin it. But I think, you know, I think that would be that. I think it's just enough. There are those things that are just enough where if they maybe keep to those references. Because mm-hmm. um, even the way that we consume media now is so different than media was being consumed in 1963. Oh, yeah. um, especially because people were just really getting televisions into the home uh-huh. and really mass watching. And they were creating... Um, uh, a programming for not uh, not a twenty four hour cycle yet. Um, uh, that they, you know, they. Um, and we are about to really change how we how we look at media and how we consume media because this is the same year that JFK would be assassinated. Yeah. So, which no one could foresee, but also we partake of news media and everything so differently because of mm-hmm. this. And so I think just kind of how we consume everything is sure. so different. And so it would be. And then you also kind of like, you have to then uh, uh, sort of deal with Merlin's ability to see the future yep. and in a, in a dramatic context. We as an audience are much less. Uh, I think forgiving of you have a character who can tell you what's going to happen. Yeah. Like, but I do like in this one they set it up. He's like, I don't know when and I don't know how, but I know he's showing up. And he does. And I think the other thing is he doesn't know why. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like the bare facts are what he knows, but he doesn't know the emotional and cosmic reasons why things happen. Yeah, he knows that some person that looks a certain way is going to show up about this time. And we are given this omnipotent presence by the mere fact of the sword and the stone itself, yes. right? Yeah. We are set up at the beginning that the king dies, nobody knows who's going to be king, and then this sword just appears, mm-hmm. right? So we already are sort of, you know, in, instead of a movie kind of ending with a day and a smile, like it's almost like begins with this very like, this happened. Yeah. And we as an audience just go, got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which I wonder if like when the first time this story was told... Two people, you know, a hundred years after it happened or when we were starting to tell the story, when they go, fuck off. (laughs) Was it like a copper stone? Was it what? What what kind of stone are we talking about? Onyx? We're talking granite? You you can't, you can't just, yeah. Oh, you can't, some woman in in the air just can't, you know, blacksmith her own sword. (laughs) Women can't blacksmith. Um, You know, so, oh. It's so interesting. Is there anything in the kind of the script, the way we have it, that doesn't work for you? Do you find? Because I know you love this movie, but is there anything looking on it as an adult now? And I know nostalgia goggles can be sure, like a crazy no, thing. Is there anything that just doesn't work for you in the script, like storytelling wise, from a storytelling standpoint? Um, not that it doesn't work. Again, I think it's something that we we covered a little bit. Just that it doesn't feel like it has. The arc is strange. Yeah. The way this movie ends feels so much like we're... I mean, uh, clearly they are, Mm -hmm. right? They are setting up for something else. At least it feels like... I just remember those last five minutes of him feeling trapped in that throne room and thinking, oh, this isn't the problem. Like, Mm -hmm. this is a brand new thing. The the problems for this kid are just beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so for us to be kind of left that way, not saying it doesn't work for me, I just think it's something interesting. Yeah. I don't know, man. I really, I, I think I love every moment yeah. of this film. And I forgot how funny it was. It's so funny. Like, I've been Oof. sitting here cleaning the whole time and just giggling to myself the whole time. Archimedes, and then, oh my gosh, Mim's first line, like, sounds like someone's sick. Oh, I do hope it's serious. Yes. Something dreadful. I like, love, <laughs> it's, it's the same, I think so much of her informed my love of why I love Winnie Sanderson and Hocus Pocus. Oh, sure. Because they're so similar in character, sure. like, character-wise. Um... And, you know, that's the archetype of the witch. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. All bad things are suddenly wonderful. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, but it's it's one of those that she... Oh, I love her so much. She's so good. She's so good. <laughs> um, but also just because she's, she's ridiculous. Like, she's just absolutely ridiculous. I think the only thing for me is I wish... And maybe it's because I haven't... I probably have not watched this movie in 15 years before I watched it sure. today. Um, is I just there are little bits of the 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 three animal parts that I wish were just a little tighter. But yeah. if you make them a little tighter, then you make the movie a lot shorter. Sure. Um. So you know it's one of those things. But again, it's the I have the same thing where I go, crap. We're cramming so much into the last twelve yeah. minutes. What are we doing? Yeah. And I was like, oh, because like now I was like, great. I'll see you again in the next Avengers movie. Um. It it kind of has that feel. Yeah. Um. Yeah, where he's suddenly thrust into this place of power, and it's like, what are you yeah. going to do with it? And that sort of music, that swell of music at the end, that's like, this is the end of the movie. Right. Like, it's Merlin being like, it's going to be fine, we're going to be good, he's putting the crown on him, you know, and then it's like, oh, uh, don't worry about it, here's yeah. a joke about cinema being better than television. Well, and my, my whole thing is because we hit a point where Merlin stops being self-referential in a helpful way. Mm-hmm. Um, and stops explaining things to Arthur at a point. And so I go, how much of this did he know? Which is why he, all of these steps had to happen because like he wouldn't have touched the sword if Merlin had been there because Merlin would have just summoned the sword from the, the inn. There are all these moments of like, right. He can't get into the inn. Like maybe, exactly. Sure, 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 sure. Or he could have apparated like whatever. But it's that, that moment of, did Merlin know that he had to step away for some reason? Mm. Like what? It, like because again, they're beautifully unclear about his abilities. Because he doesn't that, want him to go to London in the first place, right? And so I'm wondering how much of it's it's because it was unclear to him. Arthur or Merlin did not know. He did not have that future vision. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm guessing that maybe like a magical item, like there's a little hoodoo hoodoo to your. Yeah. I mean, again, this is 1960s magic. So yeah. Who knows? It was interesting. I was reading the. I think it was like the letterbox synopsis, and the first line is like Merlin is tired of the dark ages. Yeah. And so, the idea that whatever is telling him. You know, these thoughts or these visions that he's having, whatever those may be, I think it says, tired of living in medieval in a medieval mess, Merlin uses all of his magic powers to change a scrawny little boy into a legendary hero. And so, you know, his frustration with the lack of education yep. and the lack of knowledge in the world sort of is driving him. But if he knew it was leading to the kid going to London to get the sword, then wouldn't he want to be the squire or... Does he know that he can't go with the kid and right. that feeds into his frustration that yeah. makes him blow up and leave at the end? 
I mean, it's, you know. It's, I also think this is us. Uh, oh, sure. P- like, picking oh, through. Oh, yeah. Picking through this. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, it is an interesting thing to think about because this did create, you know, now we all look at things as franchisable universes. Uh-huh. And this did set up an extended amount of stories because there were also three more books that existed. At the so, time. Like at the time, yeah. Uh-huh. So, like, yeah. it's one of those things that I was like, well, we could have gotten more. But also, the, the studio, like, that we took a lot to get anything approved by Walt. So, like, you know, it, 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 I'm, I question whether even if they were going into this with it or they just went, cool, we told that story, it's fine. Yeah. Because another King Arthur movie did come up through, like, there was this whole thing where after, um, Uh, I believe it was Aladdin did so well. They had people come in and they just submitted ideas. And one of them was another King Arthur story. And so I question, you know, they, they didn't agree, you know, they didn't talk about it more because one of them was also like Swan Lake and, Mm. and, uh, war, war, not war, the world's, um, 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 war and peace. Um, and all these things that like, or the Swan princess, these things that just didn't happen, and they didn't get chosen, but I know there was a King Arthur story in there, so I want to know. I was like, "Did is it a sequel? Is, is it, a sequel? Was it yeah. going to look similar? Sure. Was it going to be that Renaissance version of what the 1960s animation looked like? Because animation shifted hard in the mid-80s. Yeah. You had Black Cauldron that looked like this, and then you had Great Mouse Detective that looked nothing like You're anything before it. And I, I, I just listened to that episode, by the way. I love mm, that episode. Thanks. Um Absolutely right. The, yeah, it, the shift it, in that, that hard tone, shift. Absolutely. 100%. Well, and it's also because Katzenberg and um, Eisner had come in in '84, so at that point they were shifting away. Plus, the new animators animated in a different ways. That was when, um, oh God, Tim Burton worked at Disney. He oh, was an really? animator. Yeah, he was a baby. He came oh, in in like '80. He worked on okay. Black Cauldron. Okay. Um, which is that, why yep. when nightmare happened they were like oh yeah this kid worked for us oh yeah oh interesting and i did not know that until i watched uh waking sleeping beauty which is a lovely documentary about uh 1984 to 1994 approximately Ooh. and disney animation wait, and wait, what happened just before that? that disney plus oh of course oh, before okay. that before that i had to pay lots of money on amazon to watch it but um yeah it's lovely and it's actually all home video oh, from cool. the animators at the animation studio so talking about like when everybody get laid off when they got shifted over to the big animating studio now that's got all of the seven dwarves right and all those things like this is all chronicled up right. through katzenberg leaving in 94 with the gotcha. release of lion king awesome. and so it covers those like 10 years of like figuring out how to make little mermaid and doing all those things and and uh what most but i think i think overall this chalks up really well in like it views really easily in 2020 oh yeah and I, I would, I have no issue sitting kids down in front of it. I Absolutely think it's lovely. Not. I think, I think this is one of those of the Disney canon that I wish more people respected and loved. Cause like, I love this movie. Yeah. It's so good. Um, it's one I'll go back to over yeah. and over and over again. I, you know, things we've covered the, the themes of education and knowledge over, over, uh, over strength and, and those types of things. I think it's just great for, great for kids to, to, to get into it at an yeah. early age. It's wonderful. Really, yeah. really wonderful. Yeah, I think I do see that like they actually took elements of this and it's what a lot of the elements of it are what I like about Brave. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Similarly. Um, so we talked a little bit about it early, but throughout your Dreamcast, let's 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 go through Dreamcast for a live action. What would you okay. what would you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sh- sh- sure, sure, sure. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to 
break with you on Arthur and oh yeah yeah, yeah because absolutely. I'm thinking I'm thinking nationwide search yes right oh that'd be Brand, great Brandon, you don't need a, you introducing don't, yeah you don't you know? need you don't need a, a you don't need a, a known kid absolutely to not. play and it's actually probably works better that way oh totally because. Th- that age group of kids are like the Stranger Things kids. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so, like, because he's got to be a young teenager. So, like, yeah. this whole, you know, they're so coded by the work they're doing, and it's brilliant work, by the way. But mm-hmm. like, that generation, we kind of know who all those kids are between oh, yeah. it and between yep. Stranger Things. That's kind of those eight, those those kids. I remember. I, I can't remember the actor's name, but he's in it and Stranger Things. He was the one that I kind of oh, thought of. Finn Wolf Wolf. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, because it's hard. Because then otherwise, but even he's probably too old now. Yes, they're all. Yeah. Yeah. But the, and the thing is also because in that same age group, then you're going to Disney Channel kids who it's not their fault are not great actors. Yeah. And so you want to. Mm-hmm. That's why you. I think having an unknown would be. Delightful. Uh, yeah, I, I, so, I absolutely yeah. Big question mark for Arthur Nationwide Search. Yep, okay. It's also the best publicity stunt ever. Because everyone goes, oh. ooh, that kid's in my community. Ooh, he was almost Arthur. Ooh, we're going to go see it because that other kid's probably worse than him. The only reason I ever saw Seabiscuit was because they did an extras casting in Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay, it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant, brilliant Great marketing movie. technique. Oh, yeah. Also a very good movie. Great movie. But yeah. like horse movies, it played out at that point, really. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one of my professors at AMDA, shout out to Dan Daly, who's a phenomenal professor. Uh, I hated the man at the time, but learned so much from him. Was in Seabiscuit, and we all kind of made fun of him for it. But like, a, a, I now believe a credit is a motherfucking credit. credit <laughs> uh, okay, great. So, okay, so Merlin and Archimedes. Yeah. Okay. So all right. So we've said Ian McKellen. Yeah. He can work. He's expensive. Also, he did the Cats movie though. So I'm gonna also try Richard E. Grant. Oh, lovely. A little bit yes. younger, a little more spry, a little more mm-hmm. pep in his step, but I think he's got that wry wit. Yeah, um, he's... That was so present in um, Can You Ever Forgive Me uh, as kind of this, like, um, with just a little edge to him yep. as well. Because there's a little darkness to him. Yeah. Um, I love... God, I, I mean... I loved him in Spice World. It's the worst yeah. movie ever, but he's so good in that movie. But also, yeah, well, because he's also played that magical, that magical villain. He's played science fiction villains. Yep. Like, he's that he's guy. He's in the Disney family now he with is. Star Wars. Yeah, and like, Merlin should be a little, there should be a cunning to his eye where you're a little scared of him and you don't trust him. And But he's kind of like, I got this. Yeah, but you're like, pretty sure he's going to lie to you. Oh, like, yeah. Like, he's someone I do not trust mm-hmm. to tell me the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that, Richard. That's great. He'd do it. He'd probably do it because he'd probably sign a couple movie deal. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, you know, in, you know, just looking from the other books, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this thing is a multi... Could he play the role for 12 years or 10 years? That's that. Well, well if yeah, you're looking no, at it that yeah, way, because he's, yeah. he's a younger man, not younger man, but like he's... He, you he's know, 62. he's he's sixty two. He, he could, could easily he do it. Yeah, ten years. He could play it for ten years. I mean, if Maggie Smith can play McGonagall for twelve years yep. while she's fighting breast cancer twice, yeah, these men can do it. Absolutely. Yeah, and he, I th- because I also think he, yeah, I think he's got it in him to be able to do a long haul to do four films. Oh yeah, if they wanted to do four films, because Merlin wouldn't age. Because even then, if you've only got a kid, Arthur, who's not great in the first movie, mm-hmm. he's going to grow up a little by the second yeah. one. So that's when you get four Arthurs, and it's fine, right. really. It's fine. Sure, sure. So, it's when you get my... <laughs> yeah, um, so Archimedes. Archimedes. Oof, man, I'm kind of... I'm trying to... That's a tough one, really. Because uh, i got to admit, I finally watched The New Lion King, uh-huh. and John Oliver is a great Zazu. Ooh. And Zazu and Archimedes are very similar. I... 
I could go with that. John Oliver. Sure. I think yeah, John Oliver would be really absolutely. good. Yeah, absolutely. Not, to, yeah, yeah. not to step on your No, no, your you're toes. fine. You're fine. I really hadn't thought um, about that one. The, the the only two I thought was Merlin and, and Mad Men, who I said Ad, and Dowd. And Dowd. I think would just um, be wonderful. Because we also don't get to see her right. do that kind yes. of fun sort of... Yeah. You know, I would love to see her eyes like so much wider, you mm-hmm. know, in that kind of uh, manic way. Because I think she does play these more subdued characters. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, and I would also love to see what they would do with actual practical makeup versus just digital effects. Because, oh, like, sure. Alice in Wonderland, we saw that the digital effects were just too much. Mm-hmm. So, like, do some fun digital effects with, like, yeah. changing into things. But, like, I know it would cost a lot of money and take a while to f- film her scene or the fight, but, like, have her it literally be Anne Dowd in a pig prosthetic. That'd be fucking hilarious. I was thinking about that like, moment, like, where so she reveals funny. through the hair. And it's oh, just, yeah. yeah. And then and then maybe have them do an, an age, an, a de-aging thing where she's beautiful or have a yeah. fun, have, like, a really fun oh, yes, cameo. The, de-age. yes. the de-aging moment or have a really fun cameo in that second that's still voiced by Anne Dowd. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. Uh, of like uh, Anna Anna Kendrick. Yes. Or something. Yeah. Just. I would moment. also say that I think Carol Burnett would be funny. I don't know if she mm-hmm. feels bright enough. If we're going a little younger and making them look a little older, Martha Plimpton. Sure. Is phenomenal. Sure. She's a phenomenal sure. comedic actress, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think she can go over the top. Mm-hmm. She was one of the only good things about the Neil Patrick Harris Company. Um, okay. She and Stephen Colbert were wonderful together. I was gonna say they they were boy Steve. He, uh, they they were a married couple uh-huh. and they were phenomenal. For anyone who knows company, they were Harry and Sarah. So they do the the karate fight scene. Yes, yes, and yes, God, yes. it was funny because she just threw herself <laughs> at him, and it was so good. It was so good. It was one of the only correct casting in that. I've never seen something in my life that I just went. You're wrong. All of this is wrong. Like, why are you going to cast Christina Hendrick as a stupid 20-something flight attendant? One, that role should be male now. Um, It's just my opinion anyway. Or, like, Marta should be an 18-year-old girl at NYU, and Nikononi Rose is amazing, but, like, why? You know, it's just Craig Bierko is always great, but, like, why? It's just too easy. And John Mm. Cryer was fine, but, like, Mm. you know, it was one of those things, and, like, why was Patty Joanne? Like, there were just those moments of, like, Mm. I get that it's Patty being Patty being Patty, but, like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it's one of those things that I just... Oh, any other... Like, Martha Plimpton would have been a great Joanne. She's Mm. She was a little younger, but Martha Plimpton's hit that age where she's, like wonderfully ageless and is just funny and wonderful and things, but also does incredible yeah. serious work. Like her yeah. Law and Order SVU episodes are amazing. Um, so how bad? Oh, well, yeah, still, uh, yeah, yeah. So the other one I thought about, and I, I can't remember his name, but um, actor who on Broadway right now in Hangman um, also was um, uh, uh, Baratheon in Game of Thrones. Wonderful, wonderful English actor, or British actor rather. Um, I can't remember his name. There are people literally screaming yeah they're screaming the, at us right now yeah and i can't remember this guy yep that guy I can't mark addy is that his name portrayed by mark addy yes that's him okay yeah he's mark so addy. he's yeah. a hilarious i actor. think he would be in a uh, a great um oh my gosh sir actor sir actor yes Wonderful oh sir yes actor. yes 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 uh what about his son why can't i remember his name k k k K, I mean, I feel like it, you could go two ways with K. I feel like you might be able to pull off a Chris Pine-esque, gorgeous, but yeah. stupid thing. Oh, yeah. As opposed to what it is in the film, which I think is even a little two-dimensional for this movie. I would like to almost see K maybe as this like super attractive... Um, 
guy who we maybe develop into the type of character that has a huge heart. Yep. Right? That maybe has to, like, take one for the team or save Arthur at some point in the series. That's just my... Yeah, no, I think that actually great. We want to... Sort of like a, yeah, like a Hemsworth. Yeah, we, or, um, they have a younger brown there. Who I believe is also an actor. Um... Because their dad is also stupidly handsome. So they're all just stupidly oh, handsome. Yeah, right, right. yeah, no, because I think we do want to see him, especially if you do want to do more than one, he's going to be a little older sure. than Arthur, so he could go between franchise. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think there's so... And, that, and there's also dynamics you could set up between Arthur and Kay, where Kay is resent... You know, after this first, yeah. this first thing that we've seen... K is resentful that he's the king, right? You know what I mean? So that's where his character kind of begins at the end of that movie. They got a baby brother. Oh, there you go. Yeah, the the youngest Hemsworth. He's not very tall. He's short. Luke Hemsworth. Hemsworth. He's he's got that kind of fun look. Yeah. Totally, 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 totally. Yeah, he's got that kind of funny look. Um, And then, uh, gosh, who else do we have? Um... I think that's that's kind of an easy one. Like dumb and hot. Oh like yeah. That's, oh that's, yeah. I would like him to be redhead. I love that the I well, love that know, they're redheads. If we're doing this in two thousand and four, it's the brother in True Blood. Oh yeah, easily. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That's kind of that kind of instead of it kind of being this more brutish thing, it might be like a naivete. Yeah. And the guy like catches himself in the mirror every once in a while and is kind of like. Oh wow, I do look great. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I do. I do think it's interesting that they chose not to have like girls fawning over him or anything in this movie. Like right. again, because there are just no women. There's in this no movie. none. Um, and yeah, I think it's. I think it's. So yeah, I, that would be. What about you? Any any uh, any other ideas for for any anyone in this? No, movie? I think I think we've thrown out most of the ones that I uh, oh. yeah that I would have thought of. Yeah. Rock and roll. Yeah. Well, Greg, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank this you. It's been awesome. So much. Oh, uh, absolutely. For having me. You are welcome back anytime. Thank you. Thank you yeah. so very much. So, uh, where can the adoring fans at home find you on the interwebs? Uh, I'm on um, Instagram uh, at Greg Malios. Um, same spelling, all just one word. It's boring <laughs> on uh, on Instagram. And that's pretty much my only presence. So. Great. We love that. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thank you. Hey, and uh, uh, stay healthy. Wash your hands. Video games are a unique medium. They can tell stories. Immerse us in strange, fantastic worlds. Blur the very boundaries of our reality. But at the end of the day, video games are fun. Whatever fun is to you. I'm Jeff Moonen. And I am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And on Fun and Games, we talk about the history, trends, and community of video games. It's a celebration of all the games we play and all the fun we find within them. And there's so many more games out there. So we hope you'll share in that conversation with us. Fun and Games podcast with Matt and Jeff. Find us on certpov.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And happy gaming. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Dolphin Dreams podcast. Now, Pride Summer is still happening on our online store, so check it out and help us make a big donation at the end of the summer. A big thank you to the Certain POV Media family for having us on your network and the support of all the amazingly creative people there. As always, you can find us across social media on Facebook at Dole Up and Dreams Podcast, on Instagram at Dole Up and Dreams, on Twitter at Dole Whip Podcast, and even on TikTok at Maddie Lime. 
I'm going to thank Carl, Firefly, Lex, Sasha, Jared, Case, Katie, Jesse, Rob, Heather, and all of our amazing patrons over on Patreon. We have some huge upcoming projects, and the Dolphin Dreams family is growing. We'll soon be offering a movie musical podcast, a cult cringeworthy movie podcast, a limited run podcast on the Tudor Wives, as well as our big deep dive into the true crime genre. Check out our Patreon and subscribe for only $2 a month or more where you can get exclusive new content, video content of the reopening of Disney World, as well as discount codes and free merchandise exclusive to our Patreon. A huge thank you, as always, to David White, our audio editor, Angela Gwynn, our research assistant, and Brett Eagleston from the Let's Rewatch podcast for the music in today's episode. Now, until next time, may your days be filled with dull whip and dreams. CPOV CertainPOV.com